Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Every creature on earth is concerned with his or her appearance. I use the pronouns his or her intentionally because in most species, this attention to appearance is connected to attracting a mate for procreation. For the human species, things are different. Our interest in our appearance doesn't need to be connected to mating or even dating. It can be a form of artistic or self-expression. And there are whole industries from hair dye to health diets to help us out. The connection between health and beauty is an age-old pursuit of balance between the art of appearance and the science of health. It seems all throughout human history we've augmented our appearance with products distilled from nature. In 69 BC, Cleopatra bathed in milk and honey. In the 1700s, Marie Antoinette used a face mask made of white wine and crushed strawberries. Today, two Romanian women, Raluca Giorgitsu and Diana Morari, are a body and skincare company called Madonna Lily that uses all natural, ethically sourced, and sustainable ingredients. You can find Madonna Lily's products online and in stores and wholesale via fair. The company is based in New Orleans and Raluca is sitting across the table from me right now. Uh, Raluca Jujutsu, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Humans have a way to present themselves to other humans in a way that most other species don't, with clothes. Clothes probably say as much about us as anything. Although we are continually redefining what is fashionable and what isn't, the one constant we all seem to agree on is clothes ought to be clean, not dirty. So given that almost every single human wants to look good in clean clothes, the art and science of keeping clothes looking good and clean is an indispensable industry. Nobody in New Orleans knows that better than Dale Velez. Dale is the current co-owner of Young's Dry Cleaning, a family-owned business that's been cleaning clothes in New Orleans for over eight decades. Dale Velez, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Glad to be here. Raluca, in the segment of health and beauty care products outside the regulation of the FDA, terms like organic, natural, sustainable, and ethically sourced ingredients seem to be liberally tossed around. A mass marketer can apparently make a product in China, slap these words on a box, and put them on a chain store shelf without much regard to whether or not those claims are actually true. How do you at Madonna Lily distinguish yourselves from these less reputable manufacturers, and how should a consumer approach products with these labels? Unfortunately, yes, that's a big problem with big companies just putting the word green on the label or putting the actual product in a green box and pretending it's natural, um, it's, that is not regulated. So what we do is we spend a lot of time talking to our customers and explaining to them that we actually do use products from nature and we also try to mention as often as we can that our products are synthetic free because if you say natural, then it can just be nature-derived and it's still not actually natural. 
Um, and it's just a thing that unfortunately the consumer has to put the work in doing their research and making sure that what they're buying is actually synthetic free or natural. It's funny they mentioned uh, basically greenwashing because that's yes. being used and abused everywhere. So, uh, yes. Dale, over the last few years, mostly thanks to the COVID pandemic and the ruthless efficiency of Amazon's logistics, we've become very enthusiastic about home delivery. Amazon has another delivery option called Amazon Locker, and you can get your products delivered to a locker or in a store or on a building. What Amazon probably doesn't know is that Young's dry cleaning is way ahead of them. You've been offering a locker pickup and delivery service since 2013. Customers download an app, put their dirty clothes in a locker, and set a pin number. Clothes are picked up, cleaned, and returned to the same locker bank. Customers get a notification and can pick up their clean clothes at their convenience. How did you come up with this years before Amazon? And is it a popular option with your customers? It is, and I'll tell you the story. I have a mentor of mine that's in Detroit, Michigan, and he asked me to fly to San Francisco to go take a look at this new service, and because it was huge on, in California. I thought he was out of his mind. I said, it'll never work, but hey, it's a free trip to California, let's go. So we went there. I spent two days looking at this and researching it. On the plane, on a ride back on a plane, I sent him an email, said, I'm all in. So we were the only ones in the city of New Orleans that had it, and we're still the only ones in the city of New Orleans that have it. And right now we're in about 22 locations. It took a while for customers to get used to it because it's all done with an app. There's no customer service representative. People weren't really sure. They knew the name, but they weren't really sure, hey, I'm putting my clothes in this locker. What's going to happen? So it took a lot of marketing. It took a lot of face-to-face uh, -face time with customers. When we would launch a building, we'd have a big party there explaining to them. So it, it's worked out really well, especially during COVID. Yeah. Nobody was going, not that anybody was cleaning a lot, but the, you know, it was contactless, which is what we weren't sure how that was going to take off, but it worked really well. Raluca, you have said in the past that the ingredients, the idea for the, the kind of products was really back from your grandmother back in Romania. Um, is that true and how did that work? Yes, that is correct. Actually, both me and Diana take inspiration from our grandmothers. She grew up with her grandparents and her grandmother was the kind of person that would make her own soap, her own laundry detergent, own ointment, salves, anything like that. So she grew up learning how to make all that. Um, and after that, I guess it was just curiosity that kept her going. And my grandmother was a businesswoman as much as you could have been a businesswoman in a communist Romania. But she would always uh, travel and import jewelry and toys and stuff like that and sell it around. And I guess I got my inspiration from her and I learned from her how to do it. But yes, Diana makes all the products. She comes up with all the recipes and I'm mostly the one selling them. Now, Dale, you're a member, I didn't really know how to get my arms around this, of the Certified Restoration Dry Cleaning Network. Is, are you a franchise? How does all that work? So, my grandfather and my father have always done... This is long-term stories on long -term, the show Long-term, yeah. So, we've always done fire restoration of textiles. So, if you had a fire in your house back in the 60s, 70s, all, all the way back, my grandfather and my father were always into cleaning fire-damaged clothing. So 
course, my brother and I were doing it. And along around 2000, around around 2000, 2001, we started seeing some ads about uh, this national organization that was going to franchise textile restoration, and you could become a member, kind of like a like a server or a service master, but strictly with clothing. So I kind of laughed because I told my brother, I said, can you believe this? Somebody's really going to do this? So the more we looked into it, the more intriguing you know, it became. So we called the guy, and we were one of the first franchises in the countries, and we bought a franchise for textile restoration. And that has now morphed into, well, CRDN is now the largest textile restoration company in the world. And, but we also now do electronic restoration, art restoration, and we do full content restoration now. So it's kind of morphed, morphed all the way along over the last 20 years. Raluca, when I think about you talking to retailers, you're, it's limited, right? I mean, there's only so many places that would want all the, uh, all the characteristics of your, your businesses. I mean, how do you get them and who do you have? It's a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls. It's definitely a lot of work getting into shops, but honestly, all the shops that we are in, we've been in for a long time and they keep reordering, so we know that our products sell. Um, it just takes a long time to get into a store, and because of that, we actually offer no minimum on our first orders, trying to convince stores to, um, to actually place that first order and see that the products sell. Um, it probably takes between five and seven emails to even get an answer from a store and I know everybody's busy so that's pretty difficult. So far we're mostly in New Orleans and we're in a Vintage Green Review, the Zero Waste Store Uptown, so they also have our products in bulk. You can just go in and get refills on the products. Um, we're in Rabbit's Foot. If you've heard of Rabbit's Food, Sounds it's a lucky. modern bodega kind of, yes. <laughs> it's a coffee shop, but they also have a little market, a little store. Uh, Cottage Magic, Gallery Salon and Spa. And so. now you're thinking about getting um, expanding beyond New Orleans. Yes. And that's going to be a, another, uh, uh, another piece of work for you there. And Dale, you're uh, kind of in the same boat, right? You're thinking of going to the North Shore. I bet both of you have had a lot of soul searching in terms of getting out of a kind of a tight market. Uh, Dale, would, I guess you probably had a lot of New Orleans customers that moved to the North Shore. Is that the drive? So that's what's happened. You know, all of our locations have always been, our store locations have always been inside the city of New Orleans. Back in the 60s, my grandfather did pick up and delivery. It kind of got phased out in the 70s and 80s. We started to bring it back in the 90s when Katrina hit. We had seven locations, all within the city of New Orleans. Lost everything. So my brother and I had to start over. Well, everybody was scattered. So we started free pickup and delivery. We'll come to you and pick it up. Well, that has exploded. So now we run seven routes uh, for pickup and delivery. A lot of our customers have migrated to the North Shore. So they're asking us, hey, are you gonna open up a location over here? And we, you know, that, that causeway is kind of, you know, almost like a no man's land. Nobody wants to cross it, but it's really, I mean, for 35 minutes away, we could start over there. So we are going to expand into the North Shore. It took us forever to expand to the West Bank, and that's only right across the river. But now we do West Bank, so the next logical location is the North Shore for us. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Rusciutti. I'm talking with Dale Velez from Young's Dry Cleaning and Raluca Jujutsu from health and beauty care products company Madonna Lily. We'll continue our conversation when we come right back from this short break. Support for Out to Lunch comes from 
Adeta Corporate Staffing, Basics Swim and Gym, and Basics Underneath, Fine Lingerie, Infinite Health Integrative Medicine Center, Michelle Weighing and Measurement, Calibration Services and Measurement Equipment Since 1947, New Orleans Ice Cream, Available in Select Grocery Stores, and Rev Realtors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Dale Velez from Young's Dry Cleaning and Raluca Jujutsu from health and beauty care products company Madonna Lily. Uh, Raluca, you also, I mean, you've got a couple of uh, problems uh, in terms of you got to get into stuff sometimes to get shelf space. And and then the ingredients you use are not readily available. I mean, you know, we for a while there, we kept talking about everyone, whether you're making a Caterpillar tractor or whatever, you couldn't get the parts. But you always have that as an issue. How do you, how do you get around it? We make everything in small batches, first of all. So I think our customers are aware that there it might happen that products is not available. So basically, if we can find a certain ingredient at the quality that we want it to be, we just have that said product out of stock until we can find the ingredients we need. And because we have so many scents for several of our products, then we can just focus on one scent instead of the other. For example, our multi-purpose oils, we were not able to find rose oil for a very, very long time. And then we just had our three other scents available for the time being. But it's definitely a struggle to find the ingredients at some point, And it's also harder to find packaging. Oh, now, what? Uh, I guess you're looking for sustainable packaging, which yes. would be what ordinarily? Um, for example, bags? for our lotion bars, we have metal thins. So there's no plastic packaging, like most lotion comes in plastic. For the bath soaks, we tried for a very long time to have uh, compostable bags, but unfortunately, salt eats through that, so that was not an option. Um, And a lot of glass. We have a lot of glass jars for our masks and our oils and such. Um, yes. But if you used them like in the tub, that would be bad, right? I mean, yes, that's why we don't have the soaks in glass jars. They're still in bags and they're not compostable because that did not work out. But yeah, that's the main reason we don't want anybody to break a jar in the tub and then have a lawsuit coming our right, way. Right, <laughs> right. You know, I got to ask you this, Dale, because I always wondered, after Katrina, um, all these, not just yours, they all got flooded. What happened to people's clothing? Were you insured and then found the people? It, you know, it's funny you say that. We we carry a lot of insurance, a lot. But most, there was a lot of the small mom and pops that did. But as far as us, everything, I mean, we took 12 feet of water. Let's, let's figure it. Every location I had took 12 feet of water. There was nothing left, nothing. Uh, fortunately for us, our clientele understood. They were in the same boat that we were. Although my dry cleaning went down and we had no dry cleaning business for a year, it took us a year to reopen. My restoration business was was thriving, and we partnered up with another friend of ours to do all of our cleaning for us. But as far as accidental hedge, right? Look at that. So you gotta you gotta pivot, kind of like COVID. So we didn't have any lawsuits per se over a shirt, that kind of thing. But when customers started coming back, we kind of realized, you know, someone hey, I had a couple of shirts in here you know, that I lost, so we just gave them credits. You know, goodwill credits, let's just work it out. Everybody was in the same boat. Nobody was looking to really come after us and go, you owe me a suit. It wasn't like that. Um, We might have had one. But for the most part, everybody understood we were all in the same boat. Let's just get reopened. They were just happy to see us reopen. 
And Dale, um, maybe it's, I remember this, maybe it was 20 years ago, I don't know where it stands now, but there was a lot of issues about the solvents used for dry cleaning. Has that changed a lot or is it still an issue? It has, so that really goes back to the 70s. So they used, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, there was a dry cleaning fluid called perchlorethylene. A lot of the, um, it was a great dry cleaning fluid. We never used it. My grandfather always stayed old school, is what they called it. We never used perchlorethylene. There was nothing wrong, it was a great, fantastic cleaner. In the 70s, EPA came along and said, this is a carcinogen. Well, in order for it to be a carcinogen, you had to drink like 300 gallons of it in order to be a carcinogen. Well, what happened was never they that. went back and said, well, we're going to retroactively consider this a carcinogen. So if you had it in the 40s and 50s, your dry cleaning location could be a super fun site. You got to clean it up. So a lot of the mom and pops went out of business. They were just done. I'm out. So what they did, they started phasing it out in the, in the 80s. It was very popular, and they said, well, by the 90s, by the 2000s, we're going to phase this out. And it started in California. There's not many. I don't even think you can buy perchlorethylene anymore, but probably 99% of dry cleaning fluid today is biodegradable. It's all, you know, green earth. Some, they, they actually had some cleaning fluid called green earth, but it, it's all environmentally friendly now. And, Raluca, where is... <laughs> I know you do things in small batches, but where is it actually being produced? We do everything at home at the moment. Uh, about in the kitchen? In the kitchen, yes. About three years ago, we moved to a larger house where we have a separate area just for the business. That's basically storage room, office, production, everything in one place. So yeah, we, we do everything at home at the moment. Obviously, we're looking into expanding soon but still looking for the perfect place. We have to find a, a facility if you grew to a certain point? Uh, yes. I like yes. the idea to just keep going to bigger houses. That's <laughs> kind of, that, seems to, that seems to work. Dale, the other thing I never really knew, I, when I drop off my dry cleaning, I always figured there was a, a little man in the back with an, um, with an ironing board, but that's not how it works, right? That's not how it works. Dale, I, you know, when how I many start, more things don't When I started in a business with my grandfather, right when my dad you know, we, we kind of grew up in this business. You know, we really, I mean, I was kind of a rebel. I was like, I'm never going into this business. But when my, when my dad had it, my grandfather had it, it was one store. And you had a clean wheel on the back. We called it a clean wheel. Clean wheel on the back, a couple of dries, a couple, you know, small washing, and, and two or three pressing stations. That was it. And my grandfather did the cleaning. My dad did the cleaning. They did a lot of the pressing. Now, we're all automated. So... Everything, you know, when you come into the cleaners, there's a little barcode that goes in your clothes and we can track everything. We can track how many times it's been cleaned, the first time it came in, who pressed it on a certain day, where it's at in production, is it on a truck, is it assembled? Everything's all automated for us. And it's, is it getting shipped to a central processing? Yes, yes, so we have one central location. Our cleaning plant's 12,000 square feet. So everything we do goes there and then gets shipped out to the stores and the routes. Now, Raluca, I have to ask you this question just because of the way the world is working. Um, have you ever been approached about being bought out or maybe getting the license for what you're doing? Or, and how would you handle that? No, we, we haven't been approached um, in being bought out. And at this point, I think we've put so much work over the years in the business that it would have to be a really, really, really good offer. But all, all of our recipes are 
our own recipes. Diana came up with them, so it's not something that would give away too easily. Could people, I love the espionage part, could people (laughs) steal it and try to figure out what it's broken down to? Um, Maybe if they had the right equipment, but (laughs) even though we have to put on our labels everything that goes in and all the scents, they would have to work hard to get the right percentage of everything and get to to our sense. And then also they would have to buy the right ingredients because if they go cheap and buy fake fragrance or something of lesser quality, then they're definitely not going to get to the end result. See, I'm trying to make this like a James Bond movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you working for? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, which, which company? <laughs> Luca, let me ask you, when you were in Cape Cod and when you were down here, how were you selling them? We, we have like, I mean, farmers markets, things like that? That's actually how we first started um, with the products. We spent the winter in Vermont where there was not much to do outside. So we spent all the time inside working on the business plan and the idea. I signed up for a lot of markets in um, Massachusetts where we're getting ready to move and we got accepted into one. So we basically said we have to order labels overnight. (laughs) <laughs> we did. We went to that first market with five products, and we did that for an entire summer. Every Saturday, we were working in the service industry, so it was kind of hard to get Saturday off. But we did. We went to this market. We're selling products. Um, there was also a little gift shop in Cape Cod that I walked into, presented the product. She placed an order. Basically, that money from that order kept us going. And that gave you the confidence to come here. What about yes. you do that here? In New uh, Orleans, uh, pop-ups or yes, markets? Yes, we do a lot of markets here. But whenever we decided, okay, this is working, we're going to actually put more time and effort into the business, we decided to move to New Orleans because we had already lived here before. We had a community here. We knew enough people to have the confidence to go full-time into the business. And then we moved here in 2018 and we moved back here. And we started doing a lot of markets and pop-ups. And Have you had to go to investors or credit cards? or? No. During the pandemic, we received a grant, and that helped us a lot, a lot. Um, and we also had um, a friend who invested some money in the business. And Dale, almost every guest we have has a little bit or a big problem with labor. But I would think with you... I mean, this is a tough job with long hours. Are you particularly uh, held back by labor? You know, we have, a, we have a great staff. We have about 34 employees, a lot of long-term employees. We struggle like everybody else with new employees, with, with staff. The biggest thing with the dry cleaning industry, when I grew up in it, there was actually a dry cleaning school. So you could locally, you could send somebody there, they could learn a trade, they could learn how to press, they can learn how to press shirts and they can learn everything about the business and then you can hire them from the school. So now that's not like that. So it's it's a skill in order to, you know, to come in and press those clothes. It's not all done by machinery. So it's a skill and it's something you have to teach somebody and there's not a lot of younger people that want to learn it. And you get, I would say, easier work and maybe more money at like a big box or something like that? I would say easier work. We pay all employees well, but it's, you know, our cleaning plant is air conditioned, which makes a huge difference. So it gets hot. You know, you're working around steam machines all day long, especially in the summertime in New Orleans. 
So years ago, my brother said, look, we need to air condition our plant. And it does make a difference when you're hiring employees. So when they walk in, it's not 110 degrees in there. It's, it's kind of cooler. So when you're pressing, you actually have air condition blowing on you at about 75 degrees. Luca, you definitely wouldn't be the only person that has done this, but you started off with this idea and the company and you're still holding on to a job for cash flow and so that you could eat, things like that. They, um, they, <laughs> do, you, do you still do that now? And what would it take to get you to the point where you had the, or the courage to just go at, uh, with this? Um, yes, we still both have um, side jobs and it's a little hard to handle at points because we do everything in the business from making the products, packing it, selling it, website maintenance, bookkeeping, uh, going to the stores, delivering. Um, and it's, it would be nice to, to have more time to do this full time and not to do side gigs. But unfortunately in New Orleans with the summer times being so slow and so hot, we still have that downtime when we don't do markets. So from November to March, we're very busy with the business with Madonna Lily, and we could do that full time, but then we have the downtime in the summertime where we have to find something else. But we are hoping that this will be our only source of income and it will be enough for the two of us and hopefully to also hire a little bit of extra help so that we can focus more on the creative part of the business. Back in the mid-1980s, there was an ad campaign for hair care products in which the owner of the company, Vidal Sassoon, said, if you don't look good, we don't look good. Reluca and Dale, that sentiment could easily apply to both of your companies. When someone compliments us by saying, you're looking great, or I love your shirt, the first thing we think of to say in response might not be, I'm using this new face cleaning product, or I just had this shirt dry cleaned and pressed, but that might actually be what our complimentary friends are noticing. Dale, congratulations on keeping a business running successfully for eight decades. And Raluca, on the other side of the spectrum, congratulations on starting up a business and navigating it successfully through its challenging first few years. Dale and Raluca, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Raluca Jirjutsu. She is the co-founder of Madonna Lily and Dale Velez, vice president of Young's Dry Cleaning. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Raluca's beauty and health products and Dale's dry cleaning and restoration by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos in this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch.
Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.